0: Well, good morning, Calvary family. I want to invite you to open to Isaiah chapter 38, and we are going to finish today our study of Isaiah chapters 36 through 39, which I've entitled, Fearful, Flawed, and Faithful, the Story of Hezekiah. Fearful, Flawed, and yet Faithful, the Study or the Story of Hezekiah. So far, if you remember, we've studied the 11 pressure tactics which the Assyrians used to try to intimidate Hezekiah into surrendering the holy city of Jerusalem without a fight. And then last week, we looked at the four godly ways that Hezekiah responded to those pressure tactics. So this morning, we're moving on to chapters 38 and 39, and we're going to see two confrontations that the prophet Isaiah had with King Hezekiah. These are prophetic confrontations. In chapter 38, verse 1, we read about Isaiah the prophet coming and saying to Hezekiah. And those exact same words, uh, put in a little bit different phrase, is found again in chapter 39, verse 3, where again the words, Isaiah the prophet came and said to him, appear. And so we have these two occasions now where Isaiah comes to Hezekiah to confront him about something and I'm calling these prophetic prequels and I'll explain why I'm calling that at that in a minute but these prophetic prequels are going to reveal the fears and the flaws of King Hezekiah and they are going to teach us some important lessons. But let's begin, as we usually do, by reminding ourselves of the preceding context of how chapter 37 ended. Look at, back at Isaiah 37, verses 33 through 38. It says, Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the king of Assyria, He will not come to this city or shoot an arrow there, and he will not come before it with a shield or throw up a siege rap, ramp against it, By the way that he came, by the same he will return, and he will not come to this city, declares the Lord. For I will defend this city to save it for my own sake and for my servant David's sake. Then the angel of the Lord went out and struck 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. And when men arose early in the morning, behold, all of these were dead so Sennacherib king of Assyria departed and returned home and lived at Nineveh it came about as he was worshipping in the house of Nisroch his god that Adrammelech and Sherezer his sons killed him with the sword and they escaped into the land of Ararat and Esarhaddon his son became king in his place so chapter 37 ends with the miraculous deliverance of the holy city of Jerusalem from the Assyrian army and I want to remind you that chapter 37 gave us reasons or explained to us why God saved the city of Jerusalem. Look back at Isaiah 37, verse 21. It says, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, because you have prayed to me. And then he goes on to give the prophecy of the deliverance of Israel. So he says, Hezekiah, I'm going to deliver the city because you prayed. And then look at 37, verse 35. God says, for I will defend this city to save it. And then he gives two reasons why. He says, for my own sake and for my servant David's sake. So putting those Verses together, verses 21 and verse 35, God gives three reasons for his deliverance of the city. First, because Hezekiah prayed. Secondly, for his own sake. And third, for the sake of David, his servant. So chapter 37 teaches us that God saved the holy city of Jerusalem because of the power of prayer in order to stop the Assyrians from blaspheming his glorious name and to keep his covenant promises, which he made in the Davidic covenant, the promises he made to David. And so that is the context which now brings us to chapter 38, verse 1. So read along with me, Isaiah 38, verses 1 through 8. In those days, and that's a significant phrase which we'll return to later. In those days, Hezekiah became mortally ill. And Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, came to him and said to him, Thus says the Lord, set your house in order, for you shall die and not live. Then Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord and said, Remember now, O Lord, I beseech you How I have walked before you in truth and with a whole heart, and have done what is good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. Then the word of the Lord came to Isaiah, saying, Go and say to Hezekiah, Thus the Lord, the God of your father David, says, I have heard your prayer, I have seen your tears. Behold, I will add 15 years to your life. I will deliver you and this city from the hand of the king of Assyria, and I will defend this city. This shall be the sign to you from the Lord that the Lord will do this thing that he has spoken. Behold, I will cause the shadow on the stairway, which has gone down with the sun on the stairway of Ahaz, to go back 10 steps. So the sun's shadow went back ten steps on the stairway on which it had gone down. The first thing I want you to ask and then try to help you answer in regard to this passage is a question maybe you're not expecting, which is this. Are chapters 38 and 39 a sequel or are they a prequel? Are they a sequel to chapters 36 and 37 or are they a prequel to chapters 36 and 37. In other words, did the events of chapters 38 and 39 happen after the events of chapters 36 and 37, or did they happen beforehand? Are these events discussed in chapters 38 and 39, did they precede the Assyrian invasion, or did they happen after it? Now, you're probably saying to yourself, well, of course they happened after it. I mean, chapters 38 and 39, of course they happened after the events of chapters 36 and 37. Events in later chapters always happen after events in earlier chapters, right? Not correct, not correct. But people tend, when they're reading the book of Isaiah, to make that assumption. And by the way, it is an assumption. They make that assumption, and I want to explain Why? They make the assumption of chronological order because Western culture is obsessed with time. And therefore, we have been conditioned by our culture to organize almost everything using the chronological method. But we need to kind of have a larger view than ourselves and our own little culture here. Other cultures around the world often wonder why we are so obsessed with time. And they wonder why we organize everything by when it happened rather than by why it happened. Or by how what happened is connected to other important things that happened. In other words, when Westerners right, we tend to focus on chronology while other cultures tend to focus on significance or on logical connections. And so we need to be careful that we don't Impose the customs of English literature on ancient Hebrew scripture. But even in English literature, if you think about it for a moment, it's not always the case that later chapters record events that happen later. Even though we're so focused on time and chronology here in the West, even in English literature, we often use flashbacks or prequels to take the reader back to an earlier time and fill in an important part of the story which will help them understand the whole thing we rewind the story as it were that's done in famous English written literature as well as in many movies and movie series that you're all very aware of so the question is, are chapters 38 and 39 the sequel to the record of God's deliverance of Jerusalem from the Assyrian army, or are they a prequel which happened earlier and explained something important about those events? And the answer is that they are a prequel, and I want to explain to you how we know that they are a prequel. How do we know that the events of chapters 38 and 39 happened before the events of chapters 36 and 37. And the answer is number 1 that Isaiah tells us that he's using the prequel method. He tells us right at the beginning of chapter 38 that he's rewinding to something earlier. He says in verse in chapter 38 verse 1, "In those days Hezekiah became mortally ill." Notice that he says it happened in those days referring back to the events of chapters 36 and 37. He doesn't say "then" Hezekiah became sick or next Hezekiah became sick or after that Hezekiah became sick. He says no. It was in those days those, those days the general time frame of chapters 36 and 37 that Hezekiah became ill. So right away Isaiah grabs our attention by indicating that he's about to tell us something else that happened in that same time period not something which happened later. Second reason is that when we compare Isaiah chapter chapter 38 verses 21 and 22 with the parallel account in 2 Kings chapter 20 verses 7 through 8 we see immediately clear evidence that Isaiah is using a rewind approach or a prequel approach. Second Kings 20 verses 7 through 8 tells us that, I, that Isaiah after Hezekiah prayed that God would heal him from his sickness. Second Kings 20 verse 7 says that it was then that Isaiah instructed Hezekiah's physicians to apply the fig compress to his boil. And it was then that Hezekiah asked for a sign. And so he asked for the sign before the sign of the sun's shadow moving was given. But in the account in Isaiah, the application of the fig compress and Hezekiah asking for a sign the very end of the chapter. Look at chapter 38, verses 21 and 22. It says, Now Isaiah had said, Let them take a cake of figs and apply it to the boil that he may recover. Then Hezekiah had said, What is the sign that I shall go up to the house of the Lord. Now notice that both verses 21 and 22 are talking about something that Isaiah had said earlier and that Hezekiah had said earlier. And so Isaiah is making it clear that he's rewinding the clock. He's telling us about Hezekiah's illness and then at the very end of the chapter, he's adding two other details which happened earlier in order to teach us something. And we're gonna get to that a little later on third reason, though, that we believe chapters 38 and 39 are a prequel, not a sequel, is that the majority view of conservative scholars is that Hezekiah died in the year 687 BC. And since God extended his life by 15 years, these events must have happened in 702 BC, which is the year before the Assyrian invasion, which happened in 701 BC and if you remember we talked about the uh, what's called the Annals of Sennacherib, an Assyrian record of these events and so the dating of the Assyrian invasion is very clear. Fourth, the overall structure of the book explains why Isaiah organized his material in this way. Remember that warnings about an Assyrian invasion were a major theme of chapters 1 through 35. But when we're, we look at chapters 40 through 66, we're going to see that chapters 40 through 66 talk about a future threat of invasion and exile from Babylon, not Assyria. And so Isaiah needs to explain why the Assyrian threat ended and why the Babylonian threat is about to begin. And so it makes sense that he would first explain how God delivered Jerusalem from the Assyrian invasion and then he would rewind the clock a little bit to explain why the Babylonians were going to be the major threat going forward. So the structure of the book explains why he put these chapters in this order. But the most conclusive evidence is in chapter 38, verse 6, which clearly places these events before Jerusalem was saved from the Assyrian invasion, as recorded in chapters 36 and 37. Look again at Isaiah 38, verses 4 through 6. Then the word of the Lord came to Isaiah, saying, Go and say to Hezekiah, Thus says the Lord, the God of your father David, I have heard your prayer, I have seen your tears. Behold, I will add 15 years to your life. I will deliver you and this city from the hand of the king of Assyria and I will defend this city. So clearly, the events of chapter 38 and 39 happen before the Assyrian invasion. So the grammar, the content, and the context all make it very clear that chapters 38 through 39 are a prequel or a flashback, as we would say in, in our language to events which happened shortly before the Assyrian invasion. So the question is, why did Isaiah use the prequel method? Why did he put chapters 38 and 39 after chapters 36 and 37 instead of before? I think it's because he wanted to raise some questions in his reader's mind before he gave the answer. And the questions that I think he wants to to raise in our minds is a question about Hezekiah. Keep in mind in 2 Kings and 2 Chronicles as we're going to see, Hezekiah is called the best king of Judah. He's a hero in the Old Testament. But Isaiah wants us to think about something. He wants us to think about whether Hezekiah is someone that we could relate to. And at first glance, it doesn't seem like we can. He's a king. We're not. He's a hero of this incredible event in world history. We're not. Is he someone we can even relate to? If you can't relate to him, you can't learn any lessons from his life. So, was Hezekiah someone who had such extraordinary faith and such unusual courage that common people can't really learn anything from his story? Or was he just a truly ordinary guy? Who would have been too afraid to stand up to the Assyrians unless God had done something in advance to strengthen his faith and to prepare him for what was coming? How could Hezekiah have such amazing faith and courage? I mean, we know that when the Assyrian army comes, Hezekiah is absolutely confident that God is going to deliver Jerusalem, and he stands up against them on the basis of nothing but trust in the word of God, a prophecy given to him. How could he be so courageous, so confident, so full of faith? That's the questions that Isaiah is raising in our minds in chapters 36 and 37, and now he's going to give us the answer in chapters 38 and 39. So I want to take you back a little bit to chapter 36 verses 13 through 15 where these questions are raised in the reader's minds in a very poignant way. If you remember, Rob Sheka is shouting to the people on the wall, telling them they're gonna die if they resist. And in chapter 36, verse 13 says, Then Shekha stood and cried with a loud voice in Judean and said, Hear the words of the great king, the king of Assyria. Thus says the king, Do not let Hezekiah deceive you, for he will not be able to deliver you. Nor let Hezekiah make you trust in the Lord, saying, The Lord will surely deliver us. This city will not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. That quote The Lord will surely deliver us is a really emphatic phrase in the original Hebrew. It literally says, the Lord delivering us will deliver. He is assuredly going to deliver us. The Lord will defend this city. That's the message Hezekiah told the people and even the Assyrian commander knew that this was Hezekiah's message. He was confident. He had rock solid confidence that God would deliver the city, and this was well known even to the Assyrians. So, where did Hezekiah's faith come from? Keep in mind, at this time, the Assyrians had captured all the fortified cities of Jerusalem. He had nothing, he had no means by which to defeat the Assyrians. He had only the word of the Lord, and he responds with this rock solid faith. How did he get to that point in his life? this decisive moment in his life? Was he always just this superhero of the faith? Or did God do something to prepare him? And chapters 38 and 39 go back in time to answer the question of how Hezekiah knew that God would deliver Jerusalem. And the answer is that God, shortly before the Assyrian invasion, healed Hezekiah of a deadly disease, assuaged his debilitating fears, gave him a miraculous sign to strengthen his weak faith and rebuked his pride to teach him humility and to trust only in the Lord. In chapter 38, Isaiah is even going to let us read a portion of Hezekiah's personal diary. And what he says there shows That he wasn't some unrelatable hero of the faith floating on the clouds. No, he was someone who struggled with debilitating fear and despair. He was fearful. And then chapter 39 is going to tell us that he was deeply flawed. Chapter 39 is going to tell us about Hezekiah's pride and his his outrageous selfishness painting a painfully honest picture of Hezekiah's character flaws. So in chapters 38 and 39, we see that Hezekiah is fearful, that's chapter 38, and he is flawed, that's chapter 39. And yet, at the crucial moment, he stands. And yet, the summary of his life is that he was faithful. It's one of the reasons I love the story of Hezekiah so much, because he's an ordinary guy who, like us, struggled with both fears and flaws and yet he was considered faithful so he's both a relatable and an inspiring example for us so with the rest of our time I want to look at our three point summary of Hezekiah's life I've entitled the whole series with these three points that Hezekiah was fearful he was flawed but he was faithful so let's look at those three main points together Hezekiah was fearful but here's the lesson Hezekiah was fearful, but he took his fears to the Lord in prayer. Every time we see Hezekiah confronted with a crisis, what does he do? He immediately goes to the Lord in prayer. When Rabshakeh sends the letter, he takes it to the Lord, spreads it out in praise. When he hears he's going to die, he immediately prays. Whenever he faces a crisis, whenever he faces fears, he takes it to the Lord in prayer immediately. And I think this is really the main lesson of this whole section. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Isaiah 38, 1 through 3, to read again. In those days, Hezekiah became mortally ill, and Isaiah the prophet came to him and said, Thus says the Lord, set your house in order, for you shall die and not live. So what does Hezekiah do? It says, Then Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed. He prayed to the Lord and he said, Remember now, O Lord, I beseech you how I have walked before you in truth and with a whole heart and have done what is good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. And then the word of the Lord came to Isaiah saying, Go and say to Hezekiah, Thus says the Lord, the God of your father David, I have heard your prayer. I have seen your tears. Hezekiah was fearful, but he took His fears to the Lord in prayer. Hezekiah was about 36 years old when he became mortally ill. And at that time, he did not have any male heirs. And that meant that if he died, the Davidic dynasty would be cut off. And that, of course, would have cast doubt on whether the Messiah would really come because the prophecies were that the Messiah would come through the kingly line of David. So if Hezekiah dies with no heirs, it's not just that his life is over, it's that the messianic hope would seem to be over. It would cast doubt on whether the Messiah would really come, whether salvation would be provided by the Messiah, and therefore whether Sinners could have the hope of eternal life. So when Hezekiah is told by Isaiah, by the word of the Lord, that he's going to die, he's not just personally frightened, he becomes spiritually distraught. It had to seem that not only was his life over, but also that the messianic hope was ending. And Isaiah, who clearly was close friends with the king, lets us read what Isaiah, or what Hezekiah writes in his personal diary after he's healed when he goes back and writes down in his diary what he was thinking and feeling at this time. So think about this. You're about to read the words of King Hezekiah's personal diary written 2,700 years ago. Look at chapter 38, verse 9 a writing of Hezekiah, king of Judah, after his illness and recovery. He's gonna write down what he was thinking and feeling at that moment. Look at verses 9 through 14, or verses 10 through 14. I said, in the middle of my life, I'm going to enter the gates of Sheol. I am to be deprived of the rest of my years. I said, I will not see the Lord the Lord in the land of the living. I will look on man no more among the inhabitants of the world. Like a shepherd's tent, my dwelling is pulled up and removed from me. As a weaver, I rolled up my life. He cuts me off from the loom. From day until night, you make an end of me. I compose my soul until morning like a lion, so he breaks all my bones. From day until night, you make an end of me like a swallow like a crane so i twitter i moan like a dove my eyes look wistfully to the heights o oh lord i am oppressed be my security in verses 10 and 11 he not only bemoans missing out on the rest of his life he shares his fear that the messianic hope is ending and therefore that his death will mean being cut off from the lord in sheol In verse 12, he then gives three poetic descriptions of the tragedy which had befallen him. And the first picture is of a shepherd who pitches his tent and then goes out to take care of the sheep. And while he's away, someone comes and steals his tent from him, leaving him to wander in the cold and the dark of the hills alone. He then gives the picture of a weaver who's weaving a beautiful rug and rolling it up as he goes. And then someone comes and cuts the yarn from the loom leaving the rod tattered and unfinished. And then the third picture describes his life like a day that begins with mourning, but then ends immediately. His, the day of his life cut off even before noon. In verse 13, he says that God crushed him like a lion crushes bones. In verse 14, he says that he was so distraught, his mind was racing here and there the way a swallow darts here and there in flight. And he says he became so distraught that the only sounds he could make sounded like the moanful calls of a dove. See, in verses one through three, we we hear him begin to pray audibly, but then it says he just turned his face to the wall and began to weep bitterly. He, He couldn't even make any more words. He's just mourning. He's just moaning like a dove. And then he says he became so numb, he began wistfully just staring off into the distance. This is a powerful description of human emotions, the same emotions that everyone feels when they get a terminal diagnosis. And Hezekiah, though he was a king, when he hears the words of his death, he becomes like everyone else, just a guy who's scared and fearful as he faces the reality of impending death. I often tell people in those circumstances that it's normal be afraid. It's what you do with your fear that matters. It's what you do with your fear that is the key. And what did Hezekiah do with his fear? He took them to the Lord in prayer. Immediately after he's told that he's going to die, he prays. And the Lord says, Hezekiah, I've heard your prayer. I see your tears. I'm sure there are folks in the auditorium today that are in a similar situation to Hezekiah I want to say to you, the Lord hears your prayer he sees your tears now the Lord may not choose to extend your life like he did for Hezekiah but you can be certain that he hears your prayer, he sees your tears and he will work all things together for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his promise, Romans chapter 8 well, Hezekiah continues to write in his diary, and it gives us more detail. In verse 15 through 20, he begins to pray, and he recounts the prayer that he was praying as he was weeping there by the wall. What shall I say? For he has spoken to me, and he himself has done it. I will wander about all my years because of the bitterness of my soul. O oh, Lord, by these things men live, and in all these is the life of my spirit. O oh, restore me to health and let me live lo for my own welfare I had great bitterness it is you who has kept my soul from the pit of nothingness for you have cast all my sins behind your back for Sheol cannot thank you, death cannot praise you those who go down to the pit cannot hope for your faithfulness it is the living who give thanks thanks to you as I do today a father tells his sons about your faithfulness by the way remember he doesn't have a male heir he says there's a father who tells his sons about your faithfulness and in that moment i think he he realized wait a minute the davidic promise god's not going to break that promise and so he says in verse 20 the lord will surely save me so we and i believe he's referring now to his descendants will play my songs on stringed instruments all the days of our life at the house of the lord it's incredible. In verse 17, he remembers God's forgiveness. He's, he's facing this incredible thing and he says, but Lord, you're the one who cast all my sins behind your back. You, you forgave me. He, he's afraid he's going to go down to Sheol and be cut off from the Lord, but then he remembers, no, Lord, you forgave me. You forgave me. And then he remembers God's covenant promises and says, no. God's not going to cut off the Davidic line. He will surely save me. I don't know how, don't know where, but he will save me. Whenever Hezekiah was afraid, he turned to God in prayer. That's what he did when Isaiah told him he was going to die. That's what he did when Rabshekah told him he would be conquered. He turns to the Lord in prayer. And both times, God answers his prayer. Now God, as we've said many times I'm sure you've heard many times sometimes the Lord's answer to our prayers is no sometimes it's wait sometimes it's yes but God always answers prayer God answers Hezekiah's prayer in chapter 37 verse 21 as we read it was because Hezekiah prayed that God said he was going to deliver the city and here in chapter 38 verse 4 God says that because Hezekiah prayed he was going to extend his life by 15 years so we see, again, the power of prayer. Do you see that theme emerging again and again in this section? The power of prayer, the power of prayer, the power of prayer. And then at the end of chapter 38, Isaiah adds another detail, and I want you to notice it. So he explains about Hezekiah's deliverance, and then he lets us read a portion of Hezekiah's diary, and then he adds a detail at the end of chapter 38. He says, now Isaiah had said... Referring to something Isaiah had said earlier. Let them take a cake of figs and apply it to the boil that he may recover, so that he may recover. This is a really interesting and important point. God promises to heal Hezekiah. He says, Hezekiah, I'm gonna add 15 years to your life. And then he instructs Isaiah to say to the king's physicians, apply a fig compress to the boil so that he can recover. In other words, God promises to miraculously heal Hezekiah, but then he says explicitly that he's going to do it through medical care, through the actions of Hezekiah's physicians. And this is an important reminder. When confronted with serious illness or disease, the impending reality of death, we don't have to choose, unlike some who will tell you, You don't have to choose between seeking miraculous healing through prayer and utilizing the best medical care available to you. The scripture never presents that as an either-or choice. It's always both and. If you're facing serious illness, pray, ask God to heal you. But seek competent professional medical care. That is exactly what Hezekiah is instructed by the prophet of God to do. He says, let them apply a compress. Let them, who's the them? Well, the king's physicians. Then verse 22 adds another detail. It says, then Hezekiah had said, so again, this is something he said earlier, what is the sign that I shall go up to the house of the Lord? Now the grammar in verses 21 and 22 both said this is something they had said, showing that this was something they said earlier in the story and 2nd Kings chapter 20 verses 7 through 8 give us the chronology Isaiah comes to Hezekiah says you're going to die Hezekiah prays the Lord turns Isaiah around Isaiah was walking out of the palace and, and the Lord literally turns Isaiah around says go back to Hezekiah tell him I'm going to heal him and give him 15 more years and then tell him to have his physicians apply a fig compress to the boil that he may be healed so they do that and it says then Hezekiah said what is the sign that I'll actually be able to go up to the house of the Lord? In other words okay Isaiah says the Lord's going to heal me, the physicians are applying this compress, how do I know that God's going to really heal me? And the Lord then gives him the sign. In fact in Kings and Chronicles it's recorded that Hezekiah asks specifically for the shadow to reverse what is the reason why Isaiah waits till the very last sentence to tell us that Hezekiah asked I think he wants us to learn the same lesson that the Lord Jesus taught in Matthew 7 7 when he said ask and you shall receive seek and you shall find knock and the door shall be opened to you ask If we want to follow Hezekiah's example, whenever we feel afraid, we need to take it to the Lord in prayer and we need to ask. Just ask the Lord. And when you ask someone, you then have to trust their answer. They might say no. They might say yes. They might say wait. But ask. Ask the Lord. Hezekiah was fearful, but he took his fears to the Lord in prayer and he asked. Second, Hezekiah was flawed, but he repented and learned from his mistakes. This is the message of chapter 39. Look at it with me. At that time, Merodach Baladon, son of Baladon, king of Babylon, sent letters and a present to Hezekiah, for he heard that he had been sick and had recovered. Hezekiah was pleased and showed them all his treasure house the silver and the gold and the spices and the precious oil and his whole armory and all that was found in his treasuries. There was nothing in his house nor in all his dominion that Hezekiah did not show them. Then Isaiah the prophet came to King Hezekiah and said to him, What did these men say and from where have they come to you? And Hezekiah said, They have come to me from a far country, from Babylon. He said, What have they seen in your house? So Hezekiah answered, They have seen all that is in my house. There is nothing among my treasuries that I have not shown them. Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, Hear the word of the Lord of hosts. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and all that your fathers have laid up in store to this day will be carried to Babylon. Nothing will be left, says the Lord. And some of your descendants who will issue from you whom you will beget will be taken away and they will become officials in the palace of the king of Babylon. By the way, this is a prophecy about Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and others taken away in the Babylonian exile. Verse 8, then Hezekiah said to Isaiah, The word of the Lord which you have spoken is good. For he thought, for there will be peace and truth in my days. Not a good look. Not a good look. Hezekiah was flawed. This is not a flattering picture. Hezekiah's pride leads him to do this horribly stupid thing. Make this terrible blunder. And then his selfishness is placed on full display as he articulates that he's relieved that this disaster is only going to happen to his descendants, not to him. Just kind of the response of a selfish jerk. I say that, and it's easy to judge Hezekiah here, but the reality is that he's displaying the same common human flaws that cause you and I to make some really foolish and destructive decisions too. He was proud and he was selfish. Those were character flaws. And they are portrayed for us here in all their ugliness. So the great hero is brought down to earth, isn't he? There are no human heroes. No one without flaws. No one to be the model citizen or the model Christian. Just sinful people with fears and flaws that God saves by grace. It's interesting that Hezekiah is shown here to be so deeply flawed. But there's something else you need to know about Hezekiah's life after this event and it's found in 2 Chronicles chapter 32. 2 Chronicles chapter 32. 2 Chronicles Chronicles chapter 32 verses 24 through 26 is going to tell us why Hezekiah made this terrible blunder of showing all of his treasury and armory to the Babylonians. And then it's going to tell us what happened after he was rebuked by Isaiah. In those days, Hezekiah became mortally ill, and he prayed to the Lord, and the Lord spoke to him and gave him a sign. But Hezekiah gave no return for the benefit he received because his heart was proud. Therefore wrath came on him and on Judah and Jerusalem. However, Hezekiah humbled the pride of his heart, both he and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the wrath of the Lord did not come on them in the days of Hezekiah. He was flawed, but he repented, and he learned from his mistakes. That's why he emerges then in chapters 36 and 37 as a hero, he was fearful, he was flawed, but he was also faithful. Hezekiah was faithful because he genuinely loved the Lord. If you're still in 2 Chronicles, flip back to chapter 29 and listen to how the inspired text summarizes Hezekiah. It says in 2 Chronicles 29 verse 2 that he did right in the sight of the Lord according to all that his father David had done. Chapter 31, verses 20 and 21. Say that Hezekiah did what was good, right, and true before the Lord his God. Every work which he began in the service of the house of God in law and in commandment, seeking his God, he did with all his heart and prospered. Don't you love that? He just served the Lord with all his heart. Fearful, yes. Flawed, yes, but faithful. Faithful to seek the Lord and to serve him with all his heart. And that's why 2 Kings chapter 18 says something even more amazing about King Hezekiah. 2 Kings 18 verses 1 through 6. Came about in the third year of Hoshea the son of Elah, king of Israel, that Hezekiah the son of Ahaz, king of Judah, became king. He was twenty five years old when he became king, and he reigned twenty nine years in Jerusalem, and his mother's name was Abba, the daughter of Zechariah. Now listen to the epitaph. He did right in the sight of the Lord according to all that his father David had done. He removed the high places and broke down the sacred pillars and cut down the Asherah. He also broke in pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made for until those days the sons of Israel burned incense to it and it was called Nahushton. He trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel so that after him there was none like him among all the kings of Judah nor among those who were before him. For he clung to the Lord. He did not depart from following him, but kept his commandments, which the Lord had commanded Moses. He was faithful. He was faithful. And as we're reading the book of Isaiah in chapters 36 and 37, we're saying, man, what a man of faith! I mean, all the cities have been conquered, and all the other superpowers have been defeated. And he has no way to defend the holy city from this massive army. And by faith alone, trust in the prophetic word of God alone, he takes his stand and the city is delivered. What a guy. And then chapter 38 says, don't forget how fearful and even distraught he was. Chapter 39 says, don't forget his flaws, his pride and his foolishness and his selfishness. Just a guy like you and me. An ordinary guy, but a guy who had an extraordinary God. Despite his fears and his flaws, Hezekiah is assessed by God as faithful because he clung to the Lord, 2 Kings says. And 2 Chronicles says that he served him with all his heart he just clung to the lord with his fears and with his flaws and served him with all his heart i hope that's going to be your story and my story too I said at the beginning that in western culture we love chronological method so i decided I'll, I'll go ahead and scratch that itch for you as we close i'm going to take the accounts from second kings second chronicles book of isaiah as well as a few details from uh, the Assyrian historical records and other historical accounts and kind of lay out the whole story for you briefly. After the death of Assyrian king Shalmaneser V in 722 BC, a Babylonian prince named Merodach Baladan was able to win Babylon's independence from the Assyrian Empire until he was defeated by Sargon II in 710 and had to flee to Elam. He was deposed After Sargon II died in 705, Merodach-Baladan was able to return to power in Babylon and raise a new army to try to fight off the Assyrian domination. And he defeated an Assyrian army in the Battle of Kish in 703. But he knew that the Assyrians would soon assemble a much larger army and come and crush him and reestablish their control over Babylon. So he began looking for other countries to join him in an anti-Assyrian alliance, a grand alliance opposing the empire of Assyria. And so in late 703 or early 702 B.C., he sent envoys to Judah to see if King Hezekiah was strong enough to be invited to join this alliance. And Hezekiah was immensely flattered because by being invited to join the Babylonian anti-Assyrian alliance, he was being invited to the big leagues of international politics. And that's why he was so eager to prove to the Babylonian envoys that he was a major player. So motivated by sinful pride, he shows them his treasury, all of his weapons, and all of the strengths of his kingdom. So clearly he was seeking to join the big leagues of the alliance with the Babylonians. In doing so, Hezekiah sinned. He made the same mistake his father Ahaz had done by trusting in the power of man rather than the power of God. And he majorly miscalculated by throwing in his lot with the losing side. Shortly after he makes, tries to make this alliance in Isaiah 39... To Hezekiah's shock and dismay, Merodech-Baladan was decisively defeated by the army of the new Assyrian king, Sennacherib, in late 702 BC. So just like Israel's earlier attempt to stave off Assyrian invasion by forging an alliance with Egypt proved to be foolish when the Assyrians crushed the Egyptians in battles, so now the attempt to stave off invasion by allying themselves with Babylon proved to be foolish because the Assyrians crushed the Babylonians in battle as well. Now Hezekiah is left with no allies and in deep military trouble and spiritual trouble because he disobeyed the command of the Lord and he knew it. And so 2 Kings 18, 13 through 17 records another folly of Hezekiah. He tries to buy off the Assyrians. He gives them 300 talents of silver and 30 talents of gold. To give them the gold, he had to actually cut the gold off the doors of the temple. This is a flawed man and a very fearful man willing to give everything he has to the Assyrians if they'll leave him alone. He gives them this bride, bribe. He probably gave them a few brides too now that I think about it. But <laughs> after, he gives them this bribe and guess what the Assyrians do? It's not enough. So they send their army to Jerusalem in 701 BC. So think of the situation Hezekiah is now in. He is broke that means there's no way to pay soldiers, can't hire any mercenaries, can't hire some king from another kingdom to send his army. He has literally no way to defend himself. Egypt's been defeated. Babylon's been defeated. He's a little you know, little country. All of his fortified cities have been taken. All he has left is the holy city of Jerusalem. And so now he has nowhere left to turn. And so he has two choices now. Only two. Surrender to the Assyrians or trust in God alone to miraculously deliver them. And here's where he becomes the hero. He chooses to trust in God. His former actions all seem to indicate that he's going to cave to the pressure and capitulate. I mean, this was a weak-kneed guy. And suddenly, he stands. What caused him to stand? He shocks the whole world And shocks the Assyrians by confidently asserting to them, the Lord will surely deliver us. This city will not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. And so again, the question is, how did he get that confidence? Where did this great faith come from? And chapters 38 and 39 have told us that shortly before this, God had healed him. And so Hezekiah learned the power of prayer. Shortly before this, the Son itself had obeyed the command of the Lord. And so he learned that he can trust God to be powerful enough to keep his promises. And then, when he had got proud and committed this great folly with the Babylonian envies, he was rebuked by the prophet of God and he humbled himself, repented, and learned to trust only in the Lord. So, Hezekiah was not some superhero with super faith. No, he's someone we can relate to. An ordinary guy with ordinary fears and ordinary flaws. But just like us, just like us, this ordinary guy had an extraordinary God who does extraordinary things and who never, ever breaks his promises. That's the God we serve. And so... Like Hezekiah, despite our fears and despite our flaws, we can remain faithful and we can stand in the moment of testing knowing that God will be faithful to his promises. And since he is faithful to his promises, we can be faithful to him. So I wanna close by asking you the three questions from our outline. When you're fearful, do you take it to the Lord in prayer? When your flaws hurt both you and others, do you repent and learn from your mistakes. And third, can you and will you at the end of your life be accurately described as faithful? Not perfect, faithful. And will you be described as faithful because your love for the Lord is genuine and with your whole heart? Lord, we thank you for the lessons you've taught us from the life of this ordinary man who faced extraordinary dangers. And he did so with faith because you had strengthened his faith, you had taught him, you had prepared him for what was coming. Lord, we don't know what may be in our future. Prepare us, we pray, to stand when the moment of testing comes, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.